Would you do something for me this morning? Would you reach into the pew in front of you, grab one of the Bibles that are there, okay? And then turn to page 811, all right? So we're in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to look in your own Bible. Uh, But I really want to use one of the pew Bibles this morning. You'll see why in a minute. So uh, page 811, uh, Matthew chapter 6, and then just kind of stick a finger or your bulletin or something in there. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, But then would you also do something else for me? Would you bow your head so we can pray together? Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on your word for us, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who has taught us to pray and to trust in you that you will answer our prayers. Amen. So Jack's been with the same company for 32 years. Six months ago, they were purchased, and, uh, but, but they were assured everything was going to be fine, nobody's going to lose their job, and so far that's been true, but all of a sudden, he has started hearing that word that you hate to hear, reorganization, and he's 59 years old, and he thinks, what would I possibly do if I lost my job? How would I find another job? And so he, he prays the Lord's Prayer, and he knows that he can call God Father, and that means that God is ready and willing to listen and knows what's going on in his life and, and, and has his best interest in his heart, but honestly, he's still afraid. We've got Steve and Stephanie. They've been a couple for five years and been married now for three. And, and they're best friends, and, and, and they love the same things. They, they love to do the same things. There's only one difference in their lives that Stephanie is a believer in Jesus, and, and, and he's not. And, uh, and, you know, early in their relationship, she didn't really think that would be a big deal. But, but now as time has gone on, it's become a bigger deal than she expected. And she keeps thinking that one of these days he's going to come to his senses and recognize that faith in Jesus can be an incredible blessing, that he'll see the hope that she has and want to have that hope too. But, but that hasn't happened yet. And now they're starting to talk about having kids, and, and she's starting to feel the tension that this difference in their faith has caused. And so she prays the Lord's Prayer, and she prays every time, Lord, let your kingdom come in my husband's life. But she hasn't seen it happen yet. Jane is the primary caregiver for her mom, and six months ago, her mom was diagnosed with ALS. And, uh, and, and she has watched over these months and slowly seen her mom's body uh, start to fall apart, even though her mind is still sharp. And she is scared about what's going to come, and she's not sure she's going to have the strength to be able to do what she needs to do to properly care for her mom. And there's a little part of her that, uh, that, that just wishes it would all be over. But when she thinks that, all of a sudden she starts feeling guilty. And so she prays in the Lord's Prayer for daily bread, and for her that bread just means strength to get through another day and not worry about the future, but she still worries. Or there's Paul, who has been an alcoholic for years and finally went to AA a few years ago, and, and, uh, and he's seen some success, but he's fallen off the wagon a few times too. And uh, every morning when he gets up, he wonders if that'll be the day he falls off the wagon again. And so he prays, lead us not into temptation, but Lord, deliver me from evil today. And, and he wants to trust that God is going to have his back that day, but he knows he's weak. He's not sure what's going to happen. Folks, we pray the Lord's Prayer 
And there's a lot of stuff, as we've learned these last five weeks, that, that we place in God's hands every time we pray that prayer. And, uh, and, and yet we get to the end of the prayer, and I would argue that the hardest part of the prayer is saying amen. Because literally what you're saying at the end of that prayer is, okay, God, I've given it to you. Now I trust that you've heard my prayer. I trust that you care about my prayer. I trust that you're going to act on my prayer. And then we're supposed to just walk away and go about our day and just relax and know that God's got it, right? That's so hard to do. And Jesus knows that. So as he wraps up this prayer, he gives us these words to say, to to just one last time return our focus where it needs to be as we end this prayer. Let's read these words together. Jesus said, pray like this, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, now take your Bibles, take a look at page 811, uh, Matthew 6, verse 13, it's the top of the right column. See it there? See the Lord's Prayer there? Matthew 6, verse 13. And uh, where are those words that we just said? They're not there. Well, what the heck? I mean, notice on the screen it says ESVFN. You know what FN stands for? Footnote. All right? Look at the bottom. There's a little five next to the end of the prayer. You look at the very bottom, you find the five, it says, um, or the evil one, and then it says, some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, Mark has lost his mind. He's preaching on a footnote. Well, what's going on here? I mean, we pray these words all the time. We say that they are the words of Jesus, and yet... There seems to be some sort of problem here. And in fact, we know some other Christians don't say these words, right? They just stop uh, before they get to these words. So what's happening? Well, let's talk about that together. First of all, remember that we do not have the original manuscript of Matthew's gospel that he wrote. We don't have it. It doesn't exist. And, uh, and back in Matthew's day, they didn't have photocopy machines to make copies of the gospel that he wrote. He couldn't put a copy of it scanned and up in the cloud, you know, for us all to be able to consult. And, and so we not only don't have the original copy of Matthew's go- gospel, we don't even have a copy of the copies of Matthew's gospel. We've got like copies of copies of copies, okay? And whenever human beings by hand are making copies... They're going to make mistakes, right? The copyist is going to misspell a word or skip a word or leave something out or think that something needs to be added. There's going to be mistakes. And sure enough, as we look at all the many manuscripts that we do have of Matthew's gospel, they don't all agree. Now, now first of all, I want to put your mind at ease, 96% of the gospel manuscripts of Matthew's, or 96% of every manuscript of Matthew's gospel we have is exactly letter for letter identical, okay? So we're not talking about big parts of Matthew's gospel, we're talking about little tiny parts, only about 4%, and of that 4%, most of it is just words that are spelled differently, okay? Um, and, And there's nowhere in any of the manuscripts where there's something that is theologically different. Like there isn't one manuscript of Matthew's gospel out there where Jesus says, you guys are nuts, I'm not the son of God, what are you thinking? Okay, there's nothing like that, all right? But there are some differences, and some of them are significant, and this is one of them. 
that in some of the manuscripts, these words are added and some they're not. And in fact, I'm going to correct your footnote here a little bit. The reality is in most, the vast majority of the manuscripts we have of Matthew, these words of Jesus are included. So then you're saying, well, why didn't this Bible include them? Why did it footnote them? And that's because some of the older and more reliable manuscripts, at least mostly reliable, we think, don't have these words. So you've got the majority of the manuscripts that do have these words, and you've got some old reliable manuscripts that don't have these words. So the question is, did Matthew write these words in his gospel or not? Now, there's a rule that theologians use when we reach a situation like this to try to figure it out, and this is the rule. Basically, what they say is the hardest reading is probably the right reading. Now, here's the logic behind that, okay? They look at it and they say, well, somebody copying it wouldn't make it harder, but they might try to make it easier. And so the logic in this case is, you know, somebody copying this wouldn't leave out these words of Jesus, but they might know the words and add them thinking that maybe the guy before him accidentally left them out or something. And so, so the, the editors of the ESV Bible that we have have decided that they don't think Matthew did write these words, and so they put them in the footnote. Honestly, I don't know. I think Matthew might have written the words. I think he just as easily might not have. And if he didn't write the words, I, I don't know why. I don't know why he left them out. But here's what I can tell you, two things. First of all, I'm convinced that they are the words of Jesus. And, and, and here's why. First of all, because so many manuscripts have them, I think there's a good chance that Jesus said it and Matthew recorded it. But, but also, we have another manuscript from the first century. It's one of the earliest Christian writings other than the Bible itself. And it's how the disciples taught the early Christians to worship and to pray. And the disciples who were with Jesus taught them to use these words. They taught them that these words were from Jesus. So if you ask me, I think they're from Jesus. I think Jesus taught these words. I don't know whether Matthew recorded them or not. If he didn't, I don't know why. I don't think it matters. These are Jesus' words. But here's one more thing. Even if we're totally wrong... And Jesus didn't teach them with these words. These words appear elsewhere in the Bible. And in fact, they occur in the prayer of this guy. Anybody know who that is? It's King David. It's an actual photo, by the way. No, it's not. No, no this gets King David, right? And, and so here's the situation. David knows he's about to die. He knows he's coming near the end of his life. And remember, David wanted to build a temple for God. He wanted to build this beautiful house of worship for God, but God had come to him and said, no, I don't want you building that temple. Let's let your son Solomon do it after you're dead. And so David has saved up a bunch of money and a bunch of materials to make it easier for Solomon to build this temple, but now he's going to have to trust that after he's dead, this is still going to happen. And so he prays this prayer. We heard it read just a little bit ago in the service, and did you notice how similar it is? It's a little longer, and it's 
a little more involved, but it's really very similar to this end of the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray at the end of the Lord's Prayer. David says, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our father Israel, forever and ever. There's forever and ever. And then he says, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory. Sound familiar? He says, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, as you are exalted above all. And, and then in the end, he says, in your hand are the power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So, so even if Jesus didn't add these words on the end of the prayer, they're still a good thing to pray because David prayed them, and they still come from the Bible because there's no doubt that David prayed these words. So, so we're going to take a look at these words together, and, and we're going to assume that Jesus taught them, or at least the Bible teaches them. And, and the question is then, why would we end our prayer with these words, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen, and, and the reason is pretty simple, because again, at the end of the prayer, the hardest thing we have to do is let God be in control. I mean, we want to be in control in our life, right? We do. We want to think that we can do it. You know, we want to think that, that we're in charge. By the way, there's a reason why that, those Nike ads were so successful, the just do it ones, because we want to think we can Oh, I can just do it, right? I can take care of my problems. I can fix what's wrong in my life. I mean, it's easy to kind of leave things in God's hands when it's not very important. You know, you're on your way to the mall and you're like, God, please let there be a parking space near the entrance so I don't have to trudge through the snow. All right, I can leave that one in God's hands. You know, he's got that, right? It's the hard stuff, the big stuff in life, the, the stuff that hurts, the stuff that's at the center of our lives, leaving that stuff in God's hands and recognizing that we have no control over it, that's really hard. C can you think of a time in your life it was a big deal and it was totally out of your control? I, I can. Uh, I think a lot of you know it was about three years ago I had a heart attack. And uh, so now they're going to take me into this room and I'm going to be awake during the whole thing, by the way. And they are going to stick a tube through my veins and mess with my heart. And I'm supposed to just lay there, right? Okay? And uh, by the way, they give you awesome drugs when they do that. In that moment, if, some, if the doctor who I just met 10 minutes before, by the way, and he's going to mess with my heart, right? Um, if the doctor had said to me in that moment, hey, by the way, nuclear war is going on, I would have went, cool. You know, because I honestly, they give you those drugs, you don't care, Right? But, but, but I remember laying on that table thinking, they're messing around with my heart. And it was totally out of my control, you know? Uh, at one point, by the way, he had said, if it hurts, just let me know. And at one point, I'm like, ooh, I can feel that. He's like, yep, we're sticking a stent in there right now. I'm like, oh, cool, you know? But, but, but seriously, before the drugs kicked in, you're laying there and you're going, oh my gosh, this is totally out of my control, there's nothing I can do to fix this, and some guy I just met five minutes ago is the guy I'm going to trust to fix this. It was terrifying. And that's kind of what we feel like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, if we're doing it right. Because what we're really saying is, God, this is stuff that I can't control. This is stuff that's in your hands, and I'm going to trust that you can do it. So Jesus wants to help us with that, and he gives us these words. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at specifically three of the words that he gives us to pray and see how it can help us as we end the Lord's Prayer. He, he starts with this idea that, that we should say to him as we're concluding the prayer, Lord, for yours is the kingdom. Now, honestly, that's kind of hard to pray because I want it to be my kingdom, right? Right? 
I want to be king. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. I want to have it my way, right? I want to come home at the end of the day to my castle, right? Man's home is his castle, right? And, and, and I want to walk in the back door, and I want to have the temperature in the house set just perfectly for me, you know? And, uh, and I want to walk into the kitchen and have my preferred drink of choice sitting waiting for me cold on the counter. And, uh, and I want the TV on, tuned to my favorite channel. I want the recliner pre-reclined to my perfect angle so I can just flop into it, right? That's what I want. It's my kingdom. I want it my way. By the way, if that happens, you know what I know? I'm in the wrong house, all right? Because that's just not the way it works, right? But, but, but we all want that. We all want life to go the way we want it to go. You know, I, uh, I've said this to people a lot. When we talk about prayer, I've said, don't worry. When you pray, God will either give you what you ask for or he'll give you something better. And there's a little twist to that, though. That's true, that he'll either give you what you ask for or he'll give you something better. But we got to remember what better means. Better doesn't necessarily mean better for you. It means better for his kingdom. And that can be a big difference, can it? See, when we say we want to follow Jesus, what we're saying is we are willing to set aside our own kingdom our own desires, our own way we want life to go. And what we're really saying is, God, I want to follow you and I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come. I want what you think is best, not just for me, but for the whole universe to be what happens in my life and the lives of those around me. And that can be difficult. So we pray your kingdom come. We also pray to him, yours is not only the kingdom, but yours is the power. Do you ever feel like this guy? Do you ever feel like you're kind of just at the very end of your rope and you're not sure how much longer you can hang on? Boy, I sure do sometimes. You know, when you're young, those of you that are young, I know what you're thinking. I used to think it too. You're thinking the older I get, the more secure life is going to be, the more I'm going to be able to relax and just trust that everything's going to be okay because I'm going to be able to just make sure it's all okay. Guess what? That's not the way it works. In fact, in some ways, it's the opposite. It feels like the older you get, the less control you have about what's going on in your life and, and, and the more out of control things can seem. And, and sometimes, because of stuff that's going on in your life, you know, you're facing the day ahead or the week ahead or the month ahead and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know if I can hang on any longer. It's tough. There's a, a country western song I've been listening to a lot lately, and I know a few of you are going, wait, because you probably heard me in a sermon like six years ago, there are two kinds of music I hate, country and western, right? But, um, but I, I, I've, I've had an epiphany. Country music has changed, okay? Or maybe I've changed, I don't know. But, uh, but, but, but there's a country song I've been listening to lately. It's a song called, Lord, I Hope This Day Is Good. It's a great song in the morning. It's kind of just going, okay, Lord, today I'm going to trust in you. I, I hope today goes well. Um, I, I don't know how today's going to go. Uh, today may be tough, but, but, but I hope it's a good day, Lord. And there's this one line in there that gets me every time I hear it. You know, she's talking about how tough it is and how hard life can be and the big problems she has. And, and she goes, you know what, though? You could fix it, God. It'd be easy for you. When we say yours is the power, what we're saying is, I believe, God, that I don't have to hang on. You're going to hang on for me. When we say for yours is the power, we're saying, God, I, I, I may be at the end of my rope, but you're not at the end of yours. 
And there isn't a single problem in my life that you can't handle. In fact, it'd be easy for you. And we trust in God's power to be at work in our lives. And then we say this, we say, yours is the glory. Um, I don't know, how many of you watched Super Bowl last week? It was a pretty good game, wasn't it? Yeah. By the way, we learned something last week, if you didn't notice it. We learned that Carol, who, by the way, Carol is in the hospital. She got flew really bad this week and then had a, a bad reaction to some drugs they gave her to help. And so she ended up in the ER yesterday and uh, she's doing well. She's on the road to recovery, but she's not here with us today, which is too bad because I was really going to give her a hard time right now in the sermon because I don't know if you noticed it, but last week, do you know what hymn we sang? On Eagle's Wings? <laughs> and the Eagles won, all right? So, so uh, I've made a decision as senior pastor. Uh, next year, every single Sunday in football singing, we are, are singing, uh, we're going to sing, Bear Ye One Another's Burdens. That's what we're going to sing every, <laughs> every Sunday. But uh, no. No, here, here's, here's what I wanted to talk about. If you watched the Super Bowl, at the end of the game, after the Eagles had had this incredible victory, uh, they stuck a microphone in a bunch of the players in the coaches' faces. And did you notice how many of them the first words out of their mouth were to give glory to God. I mean, their coach, it was, first I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Their, their, their backup quarterback who became the MVP of the Super Bowl, if there was ever a time to pat himself on the back, what did he say? First thing he said is, I want to give all glory to God for, for giving me this opportunity. Every single one, except with, with just a couple exceptions, they weren't taking the glory. They were pushing the glory up to God first and their teammates second. And, uh, and so that made me do a little research and reading, and what I, what I found out is that the, the Eagles team this year just had this huge, uh, this huge kind of revival of faith among it. In fact, there's a picture, I think it was from the third or fourth week in the season, on a Sunday morning before their game in the pool that was in the locker room, baptizing one of the guys from the team that morning before the game. And, and it's like 38 of the 40-some guys on the team meet for Bible study. And it's just that there's this kind of revival going on in that locker room of faith in Jesus. And, and it was so cool to see these guys. I mean, these are professional athletes that have dreamed their whole lives of accomplishing what they've just accomplished. And the first thing that they wanted to do is make sure they weren't getting the glory, that God was getting the glory. Wow. It's pretty cool. Still not an Eagles fan, but that was pretty cool. That's what I want to be like, right? I, I want to be the kind of person that is always giving God the glory, no matter what's going on in my life. Some years ago, I was at a leadership conference, and the guy up in front asked a question that at the time really kind of haunted me. He said, if the organization you lead succeeded beyond your wildest dreams, and you didn't get a bit of the credit for it, would you be okay with that? And... Uh, and I can honestly say now, yeah. I want God to get that glory. I want him to get the credit. I want him to have the glory in my life. We're not quite done yet with the prayer, though, are we? There's one last little thing that I want to make sure you don't miss. Jesus says, end it with these words. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Why does he say that? Well, there's a few possibilities, but, but one of the reasons I think Jesus wants us to use those words forever and ever is he wants to remind us that, that what we've just prayed about is not going to happen in our timing, it's going to happen in his timing. 
Again, I think a lot of you know that, that for many, many years, Betty and I uh, we didn't have kids. And in fact, it was 17 years that we were married before God blessed us with, with our son, Christian. And, and during those years, there was a lot of time spent on my knees praying that God would give us a child. A lot. And, and honestly, I finally gave up. I was kind of like, okay, God, guess you're not answering that prayer, at least not the way I wanted you to. But the whole time, God was going, just be patient, right? And eventually, he blessed us. See, when we pray, sometimes I think we add a little caveat to the end of our prayer. We say, God, God, I need you to fix this in my life. And oh, by the way, could you take care of that by 2 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, right? Instead of trusting that even if we don't see God's hand at work, he's working, He's just doing it in his time, not ours. And we've just got to be patient and wait for him to work. That's why this verse is so important in my life, and I'm sure it is in yours too. It's this incredible promise from God that even when we don't see God at work in our lives, we can have confidence because he says that in all things, in all things, think about that, all things, no matter what is going on in your life, God can work and is working for good. That's an amazing promise. It's hard to believe sometimes, but it's an amazing promise. And so you know what I do when that promise is hard to believe? I go to the cross. And that's kind of where I want to leave us as we wrap up this series. Because, folks, ultimately, whether, whether we're going to trust that God's kingdom is more important than ours and we trust his will in our lives, whether it's that we say we believe he has the power to fix things but we really worry he doesn't, or, or whether it's because we would like the glory instead of it being given to him, or, or whether it is we just don't want to wait for his timing, whatever it is, whatever we're struggling with, whatever part of this prayer is hard for us to pray and trust in him, if we stand at the foot of the cross... And if we look at what he did for us there, I mean, if he would give his life for you there on that cross, is there anything he won't do for you? And if he could conquer sin and death by rising from the dead three days later after dying on that cross, is there anything he can't accomplish for you? And the answer to that is no. Folks, the only way we can pray this prayer every day and then walk away and go about our lives trusting that he is going to work in our lives is by standing at the foot of the cross and knowing that because of what he did for us, because of how far he was willing to go for us, because of his unconditional love for us there on that cross, we can trust him with everything, including our lives. It's a pretty big prayer, isn't it, when you really think about it? it we've been praying in our whole lives, and yet there's so much there. I pray that you would find the hope and the strength and the trust in God every day as you pray that prayer. And, and, and you would always know that it's, that it's his kingdom and his power and his glory, and that is for you. Amen.